to shut off our thoughts about what happened yesterday. He really wants us to shut off our thoughts about what we have to do this week. And he wants us to turn our eyes onto him. He wants us to fix our eyes onto him. And as we sing as the body of Christ, he hears this one voice glorifying his name, crying out to him. And so I think that's just, when I think about why, man, why do we gather? Why do we sing? I think that's just one answer to many answers is to fix our eyes on the Lord and to glorify his name. I just wanted to take a, maybe a minute, just kind of being quiet and still before the Lord. Maybe close your eyes. And try to turn off those thoughts from yesterday and worries about this week. And fix your eyes on the Lord.
we proclaim that to you this morning, that you are holy, that you are worthy. We praise you, we love you. We thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. deserve your grace, Lord. And thank you, God, that there's nothing we can do to earn your grace, God. You love us so much that you just pour your grace all over us. Like standing under a waterfall, Lord, you just unload your grace on us, Lord. Even when we don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, kids. You can be released to your classrooms. And uh, for the rest of you, you can turn to your neighbor and say hello and good morning. And Alex will be up for announcements shortly. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Welcome to another awesome Sunday here at Linworth Road Church. Also, a special welcome to those of you that are uh, visiting with us online. I hope you're having a great Sunday, enjoying this beautiful weather. Now, before we get into it, I must admit I did have some technical difficulties. I accidentally made the font on my paper a little small. Um, so if you see me go like this, it's because I'm actually 150 years old. So, um, first and foremost, though, I do hope everybody had a great Easter. I do. I really do. I know I did. Uh, my family has this long-standing tradition, which dates back before I married into the family, of this annual Easter egg hunt. And I am proud to say that you are looking at the champions six years running. Um, so I dominated, and it was awesome. Um, we had some good food, though. We had some. We had some some good times of fellowship, some people we hadn't seen in like two years due to the pandemic. So I was grateful for it and I loved it. Uh, but did you know, it's a fun fact, if you had ham for Easter, which is a, a really popular thing I hear, I did not have ham growing up. We had ravioli because we're Italian, but it's okay. Not everybody's perfect, it's fine. Uh, if you had ham, did you know you have something in common with Noah? You both love ham. You're welcome. You're welcome. Did I hear a boo? Come down for prayer later. Uh, 
If you're new with us, though, we have a couple things that we would love to make you aware of. But here's the thing. You don't have to just be new to stop by our Connection Center. We say this every week. We say, if you're new, stop by our Connection Center. You can get plugged into a small group. If you've been here for a while and you're not plugged into a small group, stop by, get connected. You can find any information there that you want, anything from our statement of faith to how to get plugged into a small group. You can talk to a pastor. If there's not a pastor around, find one of the volunteers. They'll point you in the direction of one of our pastors. Um, I am excited to uh, announce we'll start a new, a new series in Titus today, but before we get into that, I have a couple of announcements. You can pull out your Bible app, look at the events page, and follow along. First up, Elementary Girls Fellowship Night. Angie Lepofsky is hosting. It's uh, Friday, April 29th. It's from 6.30 to 8.30. It'll be here at the church, and it's for girls from grades 1 to 5. You can contact Angie at the email that's listed in the Bible app announcement. Now, fun fact, I was recently told that I am her son's fourth best friend. So, high competition, folks. Uh, high competition. Moving on, we are actually going to be doing another men's camp out this year. This year, it will be at Scioto Trails Park, May 13th and 14th. The cost is $20, and that covers uh, Dale's... Does it say Dale's Gas? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it covers food and renting of the campsite. Uh, just, I'm sorry, Dale. Um, but it's just, it's a great way to get away, to refocus on Christ, be in his creation, uh, and, and just spend some time in fellowship. You can register at the link in the Bible app announcements. You can email Dale Schuler or Rich Hendricks for more information. And on a personal note, I'm hoping things go better uh, than last year, because it was intense. Um, struggling. Discover Life is coming up. Moving on swiftly. Discover Life is coming up. It's our annual class that we do to, uh, to introduce our friends and loved ones to Christ. Uh, it's a really, really awesome class. There have been so many stories of people that have come to know the Lord, reaffirm their faith in the Lord. It's, it's just a tremendous, tremendous thing that we do in the life of the church, and I'm really, really excited we're able to do it again. Uh, it's three consecutive Wednesdays, July 27th, August 3rd, and August 10th, and it will start with a meal at 6.30. And lastly, here in our church, uh, we love to celebrate. We love to celebrate all that God is doing in our lives. So on the fifth Sunday of every month that has a fifth Sunday, we do a celebration service. This is our time, if you've been with us over the last couple of years, this is our time for baptisms, God bless you, baby dedications, sharing of testimony for everything that God is doing. This is the moment where we really allow the church to just share the goodness of God amongst the church, to make those interconnections. And so we love to do that, we wanna hear from you, um, and so we'd, we'd, we'd just love to know if you'd love to get baptized if, or if you've recently had a baby that you would like to get dedicated, you can email the church office or you can mark baptism or baby dedication on your Connect card. And lastly, real quick, let me just say any of these announcements that you're interested in, you can reach forward and grab the Connect card and just write uh, what it is you're interested in in that Connect card and we'll be able to get in touch with you that way. And now, without further ado, Pastor Chris. Okay, good morning. Last Sunday we said we hope that winter is on its way out. 
So it's been a nice couple of days, right? It's been beautiful. And um, also, I want to say thank you to everybody on the landscaping team. If you were here yesterday, would you stand up just real quick and let us say thank you for uh, appreciate all that you did. Thank you. Just, again, it's uh, church just looks fantastic, so thank you for that. Well, as Alex said, we're starting a new series this morning, and uh, we closed out before Easter on the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, and in our preaching rhythm here, we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So um, uh, today we're going to open a series around a very small book called Titus, and the title is The Power for Doing Good. Now, you might ask, why Titus and why now? And to answer that, let me delve a little bit into the background. The time of the book is in the first century, a generation after Jesus. Titus was a close companion to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul took the story of Jesus into the non-Jewish world. And Paul's missionary strategy, as it was, was quite simple. When God provided open doors to talk about Jesus, he challenged people to believe in him in the language of that day, to become a follower of Jesus. And Paul gathered those who responded into a new kind of community, a spiritual family, what we call church. Paul was like a spiritual father to Titus. He accompanied him on a very early trip to Jerusalem. Now, one of the places Paul went to tell the story of Jesus was an island nation called Crete. It is possible Titus was part of that trip. Crete lies south of the Aegean Sea in the Mediterranean. It was a very interesting place. It's a large mountainous island with fertile grazing, but it also was a place with a reputation and not a good one. An ancient Las Vegas, as it were, known for its moral faults. What happens in Crete stays in Crete, read, read the Taurus promo. One ancient historian of the Cretans said this, so much in fact do sordid love of gain and lust for wealth prevail among them that the Cretans are the only people in the world whose eyes no gain is disgraceful. It was reputed for its excesses. Truth was very slippery in Crete. You could trust no one, watch your back. It was unsafe sexually. And in this place, of all places, Paul sought to help new believers not only embrace the gospel, but to live out its implications. To help them grow, and Jesus would require healthy churches. And to have healthy churches would require healthy leaders. And so Paul sends Titus there. And his very first task is to help the church churches identify and appoint leaders. Yet at the same time, the expectation was that the letter from Paul to Titus would be read to the entire congregations. So it's meant also for all of us to hear and learn from. If we can break out the three chapters of this book into headings, we can say this, that the book of Titus aims at developing gospel-centered leaders, gospel-centered households, and gospel-centered citizens. 
As we explore these topics, we're going to discover a theme that clearly ties them together. Because Titus is answering this question. When do we know the gospel has taken hold of us? The answer, when we become devoted to doing good. So, going back to where I began, why Titus and why now? Because, because, here's why, we live in a highly skeptical and cynical culture. Over-messaging in our culture, the, just the, the sheer weight and volume of messaging has so democratized language that nothing is held sacred. Belief is a matter of convenience, our personal taste. And if anything, there is a growing question of Christianity's essential goodness. One disillusioned student told a group of pastors, here's my problem. Christianity is inherently oppressive. It forces people to make everyone feel guilty. It's just one big shame system. Now, Titus teaches us that there is something that can get people to stop and listen. And it is the quality of being good and doing good. It is attitudes and actions that come without expectation or manipulation. Titus argues that goodness and doing good should be one of the most identifiable characters, qualities of Christians. And in this, he specifically addresses how to impact a culture like ours, needing tangible evidence that our message produces genuine good in people and that human beings truly flourish under its inspiration. And that is why Titus is desperately relevant for today. You know, as a matter of fact, the emphasis on the quality of our lives is so clear in Titus that a question arises. Does this book intend to say that we should not communicate verbally the story of Jesus? Well, there is even a line of thinking in the academic church world that claims the church in Crete had reached this stage of development, that it had outgrown the need for evangelism. What we must remember, however, is that Titus is set inside the story of the book of Acts, where the emphasis is on verbally communicating the good news of Jesus. So it is not an either or as various camps on both sides today short-sightedly argue. It is a both and. We need both the communication of the gospel verbally and we need the apologetic of demonstrable good lives. So with that background on the book, let's stand and I'm gonna read the first few verses together in chapter one and then just stay standing as we pray and commit this morning to Jesus. If you want to follow along in the text that's in front of you, it is page 998, almost a thousand. And I'm going to read from the beginning of the book, or begin, yeah, beginning of the book until verse, verse 9. 
Okay, here we go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come humbly before you without any sense of self-justification, without any sense that we have anything good to offer you. All we are and all that we will become in the future is through your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we look to you, Father, this morning to give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear as we learn on Easter Sunday. Thank you that just by the fact that we're here means the power of God is already at work in us. And the power that resurrected Jesus is available to us. But we need you, Father, to enlighten or to open or to help our eyes to see both who we are and what we have and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We pray that each of us would be able to receive whatever gift of encouragement, whatever challenge whatever resource we need this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Amen, amen. you seated. Okay, so we introduced the book. And this morning, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on those first four verses, but they are rich with meaning. The lengthy introduction shows just how well Paul understood his purposes inside of God's purposes. And to echo what I said earlier, notice he asserts that the purposes of God are brought about not through banners hanging from the clouds, nor does it just fall from the sky. No, amazingly, God's purposes are revealed through human language, through human beings, through preaching of his word. But look at verse 5, and we'll get now into our text for this morning. Look at verse 5. Because Paul is going to address, there is a problem in this church, or churches, we should say, that are scattered on this island of Crete. There's a problem with leadership. And so Paul is going to address leadership. It's the first thing a healthy church needs. This past December, Louise and I had the, just the thrill 
of spending a week in Prague, the capital city of Czechia. Now, Prague is touted as one of Europe's most beautiful cities, and believe me, it exceeded expectations. Prague has one of the oldest and most celebrated bridges in all of Europe called the Charles Bridge, named after King Charles, when Prague was the center of the Holy Roman Empire. It was built in the 14th century and it is lined on both sides with about 30 statues on the bridge commemorating Czech history and church history. Now, one of their most celebrated figures is King Wenceslas, lived around 900 AD. We know him from the Christmas Carol, Good King Wenceslas, and indeed, he was a good king, one of the uh, Bohemia's first Christians, and he was shaped by the Christian faith. But friends, of course, some of the history is not so good. It was on this bridge and with our tour guide, who was an absolutely delightful person, that I felt a profound sadness and almost despair. As she explained each statue, we found ourselves naturally in a conversation about religion. And she was very well informed, having been a student, a graduate student in art history. And she certainly did not believe in God, or at least believe in a God that could be known. Chechia, a former communist state, has some of the highest rates of atheism in the world. In Chechia is a place called the Battle of the White Mountain. Now, you might remember this from a college case. Anybody remember the Battle of the White Mountain? Okay, this was right outside of Prague in the area that was called Bohemia. It was the, the beginning place of the 30-year Protestant Catholic War in the 1500s. Also in Chechia, there were terrible, unbelievable crimes committed against Jews by, by Christians, by the church. And as she explained these, she reasoned that the Christian faith certainly was not a viable option in the pursuit of the good. And of course, we could mention uh, other examples. We've talked often about these. We could talk about the sexual abuse within Catholic church as well as Protestant denominations. In all of this, the church has lost a tremendous amount of moral credibility in our world. And I know this saddens you, all of this saddens you as well. And why do I bring it up this morning in this context? Here's why. And let me say first that I realize that what I'm gonna say now is in some ways a gross oversimplification. That the reason these atrocities have happened in the name of Jesus involves numerous factors. But I do believe a piece of the puzzle in why these things have happened is the failure to grasp and apply what the Bible says right here in our passage today about the qualification of leadership. What Paul lays out right here, what we've just read in Titus chapter 1. You know, what Paul lays out is a succession plan to ensure that these churches stay Jesus-centered and not be engaged in institution building. In verse 5, Paul calls these church leaders or elders. You might say, well, what does that mean, elder? Perhaps when you hear the word of elder, you think of your elderly grandfather or grandmother. 
Or someone very old comes into your mind, and when they, referring to someone yet older, say to you, mind your elders, right? What exactly is a pastor or elder? Well, the New Testament interchanges these two terms. They are two functions within the same person. Pastor refers to the work of loving, spiritually feeding and caring for people. Elder refers to a condition of being spiritually older or spiritually mature. Elder just literally means older, though not necessarily physically older. But there are things that we learn about this from this section about pastor and elder, there are things we can learn here about leadership in the local church that provide a blueprint for us so that, and let's talk about us for a moment, that we can produce good people, people that are devoted to doing good. Now, assuming that Paul's direction applies not only to the churches in Crete, but to us, here are four things I see that are affirmed about the DNA of the local church leadership here. Number one, Paul affirms simplicity. Number two, he affirms team. Number three, he affirms distinctions. And number four, he affirms character first. Let's talk about each of these here. I'm gonna spend most of my time on the last point, affirming character first. But first, affirming simplicity. The New Testament model of leadership is very simple. Elders and deacons are the two primary functions of leadership. Elders provide spiritual care and oversight. Deacons provide physical care. Certainly, they overlap. But this simple system of leadership eschews a dense bureaucracy. I can say that word. This simplicity is fluid. It is engineered to adapt and adjust as needed and not stagnate. Now the myriad of staff positions or other leadership positions within the church should all work in alignment with the elders and the deacons. This blueprint of leadership is designed to be very flexible such that it is universal. It works here and it works in every culture of the world. Secondly, it affirms team. You know, every time elders are mentioned in New Testament, the word is plural. From that we infer, Paul recognized, team leadership as the ideal. The church should never revolve around a single personality. There should be no lone rangers. The burden of church leadership should never rest on a single person. That is a recipe for burnout or a recipe for unhealthy dependence on the, that leader. A church driven by a single person can do unhealthy things to that leader, creating a false or unhealthy illusion of themselves. Thirdly, it affirms distinctions. Now, in raising this issue, I recognize this morning that this is a point of controversy and conflict both within the church and within the culture, and certainly sincere Christians who love the Bible disagree on this. But it is implied here, and for that reason, we should spend just a moment on this. And that is the implication 
is that the position of being an elder is for men. Now, I don't think this text alone would justify that interpretation. But this view that men and women are made in God's image, that they possess the same inherent worth and value, yet they are beautifully different, right? They are beautifully different. And that they bring different strengths. And that men and women uniquely bear God's image through their masculine self. And the image of God is born through women revealing their feminine self. And we say that for God to be fully revealed in both church and culture, men and women must have a voice or expression in this. See, what we believe is that God has made men and women in a wonderfully complementary relationship and that the image of God, the beauty of God, is revealed through this. We might say that this is something that our culture is obviously awash in at this moment. But this complementary relationship thus is expressed in differing roles and functions between men and women in the church and in the family. And what we see is that this is reinforced throughout all of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. Now at the same time, and we've said this before, all spiritual gifts are available to women and that we believe, generally speaking, every other function beyond elder is open to women. And the development of women and their gifting should be a very high priority in the church. As to the checkered, speaking of the oppression that we talked about earlier, as to the less than honorable past of parts of the church where Christian marriages, in, in Christian marriages, where submission has been used as a tool of oppression. And those abuses done under the guise of these same distinctions, it is terribly sad. And it is horribly unjust where this has happened. And there should be repentance, a thorough repentance. But, 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 people applying the scripture very badly does not mean we should throw out what we believe scripture is teaching. It's skewed or it's misinformed or it's twisted application does not make its truth any less valuable. So, this blueprint affirms team, it affirms simplicity, and it affirms distinction. Now let's spend the bulk of our time talking about character first. Affirms character first. What kind of men should they look for? To whom should they give these positions of leadership? Notice the specific qualifications. And what I'm going to do here this morning, 
I, I, there's one commentator that I read named Tim Chester, and he really captured what we have believed and practiced for 30 years. And, and for me, he put a fresh coat of paint on it. So there's parts here where I'm going to quote him and not necessarily cite him. So I want to give him proper credit. Okay, so you might want to look at the Bible uh, on your device or in the Bible in front of you because we're just going to roll through these next verses, 6 through 9. Verse 6, a man should be above reproach beginning in his home. Okay, now above reproach is going to be repeated. It does not mean perfect. All right, let's just get that straight. Above reproach does not mean perfect. Whew. Because that would certainly eliminate me. And I know your fellow elders well enough, it would eliminate them. <laughs> but seriously, friends, leaders should not pretend it, nor congregations demand it. If we, like Francis Schaeffer said, if, we, if, our, if our paradigm is perfection or nothing, you'll get nothing every time. It's very wise. The churches get in trouble when Either of these expectations happen. But above reproach, it does mean to have a good reputation against which no just accusation can be made. It implies a heart that welcomes correction. Next, he is faithful to his wife, which means a one-woman kind of man. Now, this does not, for example, exclude single men. But it means that we look for men with a strong marriage. They care for their wife. They are committed to their marriage. They do not have a history of being flirtatious or putting themselves into compromising situations. Verse 6, children who believe. Now this, again, needs a little teasing out. Children who believe. The word children here, most scholars agree, implies small children or children still in the home or under the parents' influence, so to speak. You know, most children, when they're young, they accept simply what their parents teach. And so the beliefs of young children typically reflect what has been taught and modeled to them. This is very usually the case. And good, healthy leadership in the home um, does lead to children not being, I like the NIV a little better, typically does not lead to children being wild and disobedient. Now again, hear me on this. This is not expecting or demanding perfection of children or of parents. We're, we're talking about patterns of behavior here. But what about the children as they grow older and if they grow up and question and reject the faith? This certainly happens. Well. An adult child's lack of faith does not in and of itself suggest poor parenting or poor management of the home. To say so would do serious damage to what the Bible says about free will and personal responsibility. So a child who grows up and rejects the faith should not exclude someone from this role. You know, the key here is what we're saying is that the key here is that potential elders must already be leading well in their marriage and in their home, learning to love and to listen and to practice kindness and resolve conflicts and exert discipline with love, 
gaining the respect within their family from a place of good character, not anger, not physical power, not manipulation. And why does Paul say begin with the home first? Because how they lead at home, guess what? Is how they will lead at church. There's no divorce there between one or the other. If they are domineering in the home, if they over-pastor, so to speak, they will over-pastor in the church. If they avoid responsibility and are passive in the home, they will shirk responsibility in the church and under-pastor, so to speak. Look at verse 7. Moving from the family, now Paul broadens it out, and he says, above reproach in all around character, not only at home. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Here are the negative qualities, but then there are also positive qualities, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Again, again, above, above reproach does not mean perfection. But it's saying that no one can justly point to one of these character qualities as a repeated pattern in this person's life. And that he practices the positive qualities. Now, have you noticed, this is all about character, right? It's all about character, not skills. Many people have the skills of leadership, but without the character, that leadership becomes what? Pretty ugly and pretty destructive. Think of the leadership and think of how our culture values leadership. We've, and whether it's in politics or in, in business or in the marketplace, eloquent speakers, right? Strategic thinkers, forceful people, charismatic personalities, those that are well-connected or attractive. I mean, none of this finds its way on this list. It's all about character. Capabilities without character causes people, marriages, companies, political parties, and even nations to crash and burn. And it has been happening increasingly and alarmingly in the church. Leaders with great skills, great speakers, sharp minds, placed quickly on a pedestal. And in our particular cultural moment, given unheard of before platforms through social media, all without the corresponding characters to sustain it, and then crashing and burning and taking churches and taking denominations down with them. For myself, friends, there are some prayers I am really glad God did not answer. You know, there was a time in the history of the American church where well-known pastors are very large churches. Today we call them mega churches. I mean, they were just non-existent. There was none of them. They were like 0.01%. But in the moment they are in, with, with the moment we are in today, with all of the sociological changes in our culture, from changes in media, transportation, how Americans think of themselves within communities. Large 
churches now litter the landscape. And becoming a well-known or celebrity pastor seems available to anyone who will just follow the system. Character. It is often last on the list when churches are looking for leaders. And for myself, yeah, sure, I was like anybody else growing up in, the, in this world in the 80s. I wanted to be used by God in a great way. And part of that was good and sincere. But there was also a dark side to it. Something about the big church, something about being in demand, something about the validation coming with it fed something not healthy in me. You know, my personal need for validation was and you know, it still is great. Battle it. Given the lack of it, given the lack of validation in my family of origin, given my unique temperament, and given my naturally, my, my natural self, my self-oriented, self-directed, selfish nature. Certainly I was a mixture of motives. And friends, I'm just so glad that God did not answer the prayers in the ways that I originally envisioned it, because I could see myself going down the same path as so many of my peers. I'm so glad God did not answer those prayers. By the way, am I suggesting that I am disappointed today or disappointed in you? Friends, no way. Not in the least. I am glad for this body. I am glad for this ministry as it is. I love you. I love you. And I love this church. And I love doing the will of God beside you. I believe Linworth to be a great church in God's eyes. And I can say at least aspiring to be great in God's eyes. And that is enough. And I have a growing contentment with what he has done. And I'm thankful for what he has done. And I feel the more and more freedom to be who I am within the limits of how God has made me in my particular leadership gifts. Lastly, verse 9. Hold fast, hold firm to the trustworthy word. Verse 9. This last quality is not so much the skill of teaching, though certainly a pastor elder must be able to encourage or to confront. But the emphasis here is on having a firm grip on what you believe. This word hold firm literally implies a fierceness. What is that trustworthy message? Well, Paul uses the same word trustworthy in chapter 3, verse 8. Look at that just on the other side of your Bible. Chapter 3, verse, beginning in verse 4. Beginning in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly. It wasn't just a little few drips. Richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now look at what he says. This saying is 
trustworthy. What is Paul saying to Titus and to all church leaders through time? Hold on fiercely to this message. This is the foundation of your faith contained in our, our most cherished beliefs. Notice, I love this, and I think this is intentional, I would guess, on Paul's part. Notice it is a gospel where every member of the triune God, every member of the Trinity is, is involved. There is the kindness of God our Father. There is rebirth and renewal through the Holy Spirit. And there is Jesus as our Redeemer, justifying us by his grace. This is the most important message we are stewards of. It is the gospel. And we must hold on to it fiercely. Tim Chester, this I will quote, Tim Chester said about this, the gospel, it is simple, or holding on to it, holding on to this. It is simple, but not easy. Leaders must encourage and rebuke the church with the gospel. They must not underplay it, nor say more than it. Their people need them to preach, teach, and celebrate the gospel. Their people need them to love, live by, live by and grow in the gospel themselves. They, the leaders, are to be disciples shaped by the gospel, and they are to make disciples shaped by the gospel. This is, friends, the role of leadership inside the local church. These are the character qualities of gospel-centered leaders. And if those leaders can work in an environment that affirms simplicity, team, and distinctions, we believe this to be God's blueprint for the church. Now surely, there are a lot of details that need to be worked out. And that will vary from setting to setting, from church to church, from this country to different countries, but this is the DNA. Friends, this is not the only piece. Leadership of the church, healthy leadership and healthy churches, this is not the only piece of the puzzle to produce believers that are in their inner self good and are devoted to being good. Again, attitudes and actions that come without expectation or manipulation. But it's not the only piece, but healthy leadership is a critical piece. What is a pastor? What is a pastor? In essence, he is a growing disciple of Jesus who knows how to make disciples. And that should be our focus. Okay, before we leave and or not, or, I'm sorry, before we have a chance to respond with prayer and with singing to God, let me briefly just mention three things here for you to translate what we've said into something you can practice. Certainly, I, I, didn't, I didn't mention this, but certainly pray for these qualities to be living and growing within your pastors. Please do that. Pray that they would be living and growing inside of your pastors. What should we do? One, if you desire to be a pastor, or you would like to nominate someone in your world that you believe embodies these qualities, let us know. Don't let our current number of pastors be a deterrent to you. We have eight pastor elders. There are five currently in training. 
But if the Spirit is doing something, act on it. More pastor elders can allow us to perhaps rotate our current elders, maybe giving some breaks at points, or even more importantly and strategically, it may help us plant new churches. Secondly, really important point, recognize that these character qualities that we've outlined today, guess what? They are for all of us to aspire to. Whether God puts a calling on your life to lead or not, men and women, these character qualities, they make concrete what it is to be like Jesus. They should be your aspiration. This is a poignant moment to remind all of us that we should all aspire to be spiritually mature, to become spiritual moms and dads. It is not God's will for your life to remain a spiritual child. It is God's will for your life. Our middle section, our middle panel describes it out in the lobby. Fully mature, becoming fully mature. That is God's will for your life, for each of you to be able to become a spiritual mom and dad to younger or newer believers, to reproduce your life. We need a church full of spiritual and emotionally mature moms and dads. It's part of the reason we did the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. So many of you are veterans. You've walked with God for many years and your scars give you a story to tell. Finally, third application. Did you know that 2023, do you know what 2023 will be? 2023 will be this church's 50th year of ministry. It's crazy. Our leadership is going to change over the next decade. That's not new news. But this generation of leadership will move on. And a new generation of leadership will take our place. Now, Lidworth has changed immensely over the last five decades. I've had a chance to see most of that. But we have held on fiercely to that trustworthy message. And I believe that in the mix of what else we've held on to is a specific approach to leadership that I hope, I hope mirrors the DNA blueprint that we see in the scriptures. To the next generation, to the next generation, on you will sit squarely the responsibility to keep Linworth as a dynamic witness in this community. Now indeed, you cannot do it through your own power. It will only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are three things I urge you to continue as you think about leadership. Number one, continue the legacy of selecting character first pastors. Number two, 
continue the legacy of being a spirit-driven church, not a church that revolves around a single person or personality. And three, really important, continue the legacy of affirming your pastors as you have done with me to prioritize their marriage and their family over bigger and better ministry. Whatever winds and waves of church polity and doctrine, which we can't even imagine today, will hit you over the next 30, 40 years, I want to encourage you and urge you to continue the legacy of this approach, this DNA blueprint of leadership. If you continue this legacy, I believe and I, I pray, I pray that your impact, that your growth, that your works in Jesus will far exceed ours. And that through the Holy Spirit, you will do new things. And if we describe them today, you'd be blown away and say, no way that can happen. Because God is always doing new things, things that today we could, what, never, Ephesians 3, never imagine. Because he's doing new things. We're not just looking for glory in the past, right? We're looking for God to do more and greater things in the future. Let's pray. Father, seal these things in our heart. Thank you for the power of your word. And may each of us, Lord, come humbly to you and say, we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus. Now, Father, there's things that have sunk deep in our hearts. There's things that we're maybe struggling with or grappling with. As we come back to song, as we come back to responding, as we come back to praying through song, as we come back to remembering the gospels through song, we remember that Jesus Christ is the center and the core of history, the core of reality. And we join with the angelic realm around him, the host of heavenly creatures. And we join them in a song of worship to you. We love you, Lord. We ask you to continue to lead us now as we respond to what we've heard. don't like to say much after the message um, just because I don't want to attempt to add or take away from the message but uh, this next song we're going to sing is called The Goodness of God and it talks about just God's hand that has been on your life and my life since we were formed in our mother's womb and God's goodness being lavished on you and me through the course of our life, through many different avenues. 
And it's a really good tie into the message because, you know, God brought, God brought each one of you here to this church and, and myself as well, my wife and my family. And I can just look back on the years and just see God's hand of goodness in my life through this church and through the pastors here at this church. I like to think that God places people in our lives as resources of his love. You know, one of the ways we experience God's love is through his people that he puts in our lives to minister to us. And I just think about his goodness in my life through the men who have led this church and have spoken into my life who God used to help me grow and change me and refine me. I believe that the, the men that God has raised up to be pastors in this church are men that God wants to use in your life to be resources of his love in your life. God is so good and we get the opportunity to sing about God's goodness right now. So let's sing it out together.
Better is wanting 
of God is our good, right? The nearness of God. Our prayer is that every Sunday, every Sunday that you experience in this place the nearness of God. Our mission statement, our mission statement in essence says that we search for those that are spiritually lost and wounded and that over times and processes and helping them grow up in Christ, they embrace and become fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. So from, you know, person without Christ to being on mission. About 15 years ago, a young single mom came to our church. I think she would say she fit that qualification, spiritually lost and wounded. And um, she has been a vital member of our church over those 15 years and has meant so much to so many of us. She's... Uh, this will be her last Sunday here. She is heading to North Carolina to work with Samaritan's Purse uh, and will be uh, helping and assisting in Afghan resettlement. And so Christy Williams is over here. Christy's going to be by the uh, baptismal here to my right. And I would invite all of you that know Christy, all of you interested in her mission to uh, join with her. And we're going to be praying for her and commissioning her to this really valuable mission. And if I could just add, again, Paul said that if we really embrace the gospel, we will be devoted to doing good. Pastors will love doing what is good. This is a good work that Christy is giving herself to. You know, after we're done here, uh, you're welcome to join us for prayer, the members of our prayer team here. And the thing that when I asked the Lord after I was finished, is there something specific that we could pray for this morning? The Holy Spirit did nudge me. And I wonder if there are some of you out here this morning to whom this applies. And that is this, if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded by a Christian leader, if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded, maybe it's been part of your experience here. Certainly, we are not perfect. We are not perfect. It may be here. It may be in a different place. It may be the church you grew up in. 
But if you've been wounded and hurt by a Christian leader, you, don't, you can or you don't have to describe the situation, but you're welcome to come up. Let us lay hands on you and to pray for healing. You know, hurt at the hand of a Christian leader is a very unique hurt that needs to be grieved and mourned and processed and healed. Titus's benediction at the end of his book is very simple, so, so will be mine. Grace be to you all. Amen. Amen. See you next week. <laughs>